Welcome into TYT's The Conversation. I'm your host, Adrian Lawrence, and I have a host, or actually I have a guest that you may be very familiar with. He is the host of Roaring a Fire, as well as executive director of Trial Lawyer Magazine. Welcome in, Farron Cousins. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you very much for having me. Fantastic. And right now, it's funny because we should be in a very quiet time, but not the case at all, especially when we have early voting going on in Georgia right now with their runoff election. And they've surpassed 2.5 million voters so far. That's wild. Why do you think people are coming out so much in this very small election? Well, I think everybody understands what is at stake here. You know, both the Democrats and Republicans in Georgia know that this is it. You've got two senators here, two senators who, you know, <laughs> have kind of skated by with some of the scandals they've been involved in, some of the things they've been accused of doing, some of the maybe not illegal, but totally unethical behavior they have engaged in. So a lot of people want to, you know, make their voice heard now. Perhaps they sat out the original uh, election here and they understand this is the chance. I mean, right now in Georgia, what are we looking at? I think 25% a little over 25% of the voting population has already voted. You know, that is absolutely massive here. Uh, uh, the county, uh, Muskogee County, I believe it was, just got the great court ruling yesterday saying that, or, or Tuesday, excuse me, uh, saying that they cannot purge 4,000 voters. And that is an overwhelming Democrat county. So that's a big victory. You know, the Republicans have tried relentlessly uh, to suppress the vote in Georgia. They've tried to shut down certain polling places and they've lost every step of the way pretty much so far. Um, so a lot of great things have happened in Georgia. And I think voters across the board are just kind of energized, understanding if they don't want me to vote, then there must be a very good reason that I need to vote. So hopefully that maintains and, and hopefully we get some good news out of Georgia next week. Yes, that would be very much kind of a, a new year, kind of new America, new greatness, which would be wonderful. And you said energized, and that's something that we've kind of all been a little bit amped about recently in part thinking maybe we'll get $600, maybe $2,000, who knows. But we know that Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, Senate Majority Leader, well, he blocked the bill to increase the stimulus checks to $2,000. Uh, because, as he said, there was no realistic path to quickly pass the Senate. So what are your thoughts on what the Kentucky Republican proffers? I think it's really interesting here because, obviously, you've got Trump uh, with his, you know, demand, get $2,000, get them the 2000 And, you know, you've got a lot of Democrats, most of them, not all of them, unfortunately, saying, yeah, let's do 2000 And then you've got the one guy. You've got Mitch McConnell one singular human being essentially backing up and preventing aid for hundreds of millions of Americans here. I mean, that alone tells you how broken our system is when one guy is able to do this. But Mitch McConnell, I think, is trying to play the long game here. He understands that he got everything he could possibly get out of the actual relief bill itself. Excuse me. So he already has what he is going to get. So he gets nothing out of this $2,000 uh, deal that they're trying to work out. He doesn't have to worry so much about losing control of the Senate, because as we all know, it's not necessarily losing control of it. You've got the 50-50 split 
with Kamala Harris would be the tiebreaker. But you've got a, a lot more, uh, I guess you would call them conservative Democrats in that Senate than you have left-leaning Republicans. So in a way, he may not be the majority leader if they lose these Georgia races, but the Republicans are still going to have a pretty tight grip. And all he has to do is wait it out for two years until the next round of midterms come, and then the Republicans stand a better chance of regaining control of that chamber, uh, which would typically happen after the parties in the White House switch. Historically, that's what we end up seeing. So I think Mitch McConnell's playing that. He understands, look, I've already got what I want. I didn't get everything I wanted, but I've got all that you're going to give me. So why should I play your game? Why should I give these people anything? It doesn't bother me. I I'm not up for re-election again, probably ever, considering you know his age, he'll be retiring. Uh, so he's got six years to do whatever he wants with no consequences, even if he loses that majority status. I, I honestly think it would only be for two years. Yeah, and also what, not to mention that I think he's among the 10 most wealthiest senators out there. So yeah. he doesn't have to worry about a $2,000 check. That's tip money for him if he were generous enough to tip that amount. But we won't get into that, but we will get into more politics, which is a good thing. Um, so let's kind of play hypothetical here. So in the event that, hmm, uh, let's say Loeffler and Purdue were to win, how difficult do you think it will be for the Biden administration to make the significant changes that they need to make? Um, it, it's going to make it incredibly difficult for them to really do anything. Um, so we would end up essentially having a repeat of the Obama years with regard to the Senate. Uh, we would see rather conservative, left-leaning conservative judges being appointed so that they could get through uh, the Republican-controlled Senate. We would likely see probably no changes, I would imagine, with defense budgets and things like that. Um, but any kind of real progressive change, and by progressive, I don't just mean progressive itself, but I mean progress I, I don't know that it would be possible. You know, there really is so much writing on what is happening down there in Georgia. And I, I sincerely think that the people understand that because it really will determine at least for, again, two years, what we're able to do and what we're able to not accomplish. And unfortunately, if Republicans retain control of the Senate and obstruct, 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 they're gonna use that in the 2022 midterms to kind of gaslight people into thinking like, hey, look, he didn't do anything. Why would you put Democrats back? They're totally useless. They couldn't accomplish anything. We, we saw it play out that way during the Obama years because they always leave out the part and nobody pays attention to the part where nothing got done because Republicans obstructed everything. And the thing is, I wonder how long this can last because when we are at a standstill and we're not gonna have any progress as a nation at all, uh, how long until the people actually rise up and bump these people out of their seats who've been sitting there for a long time and doing absolutely nothing other than, you know, filling their coffers? And so in terms of the American uprising, how long do you think it would take for that to actually occur? I think we're seeing it. I, I think we saw a good amount of primary challengers this year. Um, not all of them won, but it sent shockwaves through the parties. And I think in 2022, 
we're going to see a heck of a lot more primary challenges. And, you know, one thing I've been doing a lot on my shows recently is, is explaining to everybody, listen, if you're complaining about change never happening, but you go to the polls and you vote for that same congressperson every two years, you're part of why nothing's happening. We have to demand better. You know, we have to go out there and we have to support the primary challengers. If, if they're better, you know, don't just blanketly support somebody because, but go out there and actively help these people. Go knock on doors, go make phone calls, go do whatever you can to help raise awareness for these challengers, for these other, you know, uh, uh, people who have ideas. Because that's one thing that's been sorely lacking in DC for far too long is we've got a lot of people serving that came there in the 90s. Chuck Schumer is a product of the 90s. Lindsey Graham and Mitch McConnell and Pelosi herself as well, they're all from the 90s. And that was the last time I think any of them had any new ideas. So we're being ruled by these you know, septuagenarians and octogenarians. And unfortunately, we keep voting for them. So, so we do, in a sense, become part of the problem. Now, the primary challengers that we have seen be victorious, that's the change. And we need that on a bigger level. And that's, again, up to the people to understand it is on you. That part is on you. If you want something better, get it. Make it happen with those challengers and, you know, by helping to support in any way that you can. Absolutely. And I think that, unfortunately, a lot of Americans, uh, and it might just kind of be a worldwide thing, people aren't really all that big on change. They truly have to be disrupted to actually want to, you know, dance with the devil that they don't know. And so, unfortunately, we don't have as much change as we need, despite the fact that we are continually changing and evolving as a nation. But that is okay. And that's why you and I are here to have these conversations to hopefully conjure into people to make change. So what do you think will be the most impactful thing that comes out of the Biden administration first? Um, I would love to see the student loan debt forgiveness. Um, and he needs to use the Defense Production Act to get more vaccine uh, out there to get it produced and get it going. Those are two ways that Biden can store, uh, score an early, succinct victory. And that's what he's going to need. I mean, with the way this election has, has turned out, with all of that, he's going to have to make sure that he gets a good, solid victory soon. So if he doesn't do that, you're going to let Republicans control the narrative. You're going to let them, you know, kind of craft the way things are going to go. So if he wants to make change and he wants to kind of solidify some support behind him, he is going to have to do those victories. And again, it's the student loan debt and it's the uh, Defense Production Act for the vaccine to get everybody, you know, where we can get back to normal. Well, I would appreciate that very much as someone who has like three or four advanced degrees. Getting rid of that student loan debt would be dope. And thank you so much for joining us, Farron. Where can they find you on social media? Uh, all my social medias are at Farron Balanced. So Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Farron Balanced. And of course, YouTube.com slash The Ring of Fire. Awesome. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. It's Adrian Lawrence, and I am back with Dr. Rashad Ritchie. He is the aggressive and opinionated on-air personality 
holding it down in Georgia, voted the best talk radio personality in Atlanta. That's by readers of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Welcome in, Dr. Richie. Glad to be here. Yes, yes, and we're glad to have you here because I hear it's kind of busy right now in Georgia about, I don't know, something about an election. So what's going on? Yeah, it's insane in Georgia. And I got to tell you, every time I see something like Donald Trump calling for the resignation of the Republican governor and calling the Republican lieutenant governor in Georgia a whack job and saying the secretary of state who's a Republican and elected rigged the election, um, I get a smile. It really brings me joy because I could not have written a script like this to close out the Trump presidency. Here's what's really interesting. Ossoff and Warnock, they have a real chance here to both win in the state of Georgia. And the perfect storm is happening at everything at the same time. You have a natural Republican on Republican voter suppression taking place. You have major Republican leaders in Georgia telling other Republicans, do not vote in this election because the election is rigged. Well, who started that narrative? Who started that campaign? Well, it was Donald Trump. He started it to save face. He started it because his ego could not simply accept. He got beat by Sleepy Joe. He started it because he wanted to be able to still say forever that he somehow won, even though there's no evidence of massive voter fraud whatsoever. And because of that narrative, he has now created an opportunity for Democrats to win two U.S. Senate races in what was a solidly Republican state. Wow, that is a huge thing. And it's interesting how someone's ineptitude and failures can essentially work to our benefit, but hey, I'll take it. Yeah. Um, but in terms of the work that you do and using your voice and uplifting things, and also from what you've seen, how do you think this is gonna shake out as we now have, uh, what, over two and a half million voters coming out for this Georgia runoff election? Well, the polling data suggests that somehow Ossoff and Warnock are going to win outside of five to seven points based on the recent polling data. That polling data is inaccurate. This will be a very tight race no matter what. You will not see margins that wide when it comes to this election. You're going to see it tighten up. And the Republicans are throwing everything they can at it, everything from having Trump change his message, sort of, to trying to get counties to throw out certain uh, voters uh, in their vote purge, and a federal judge had to get involved and say, no, you cannot do that. So they're trying to do everything they can do to, um, to give themselves a leg up in this election. It will be very close in the state of Georgia. There will not be a runaway, even if Ossoff and Warnock do win. Wow. Uh, well, gosh, this is going to be a very tight race and almost, I guess, as stressful as the presidential race. And we know during that time, there were a lot of accusations of essentially voter disenfranchisement, of keeping people from getting to the polls and creating those hurdles. Have you seen that same thing going on in Georgia right now for this runoff? Well, you always have had some level of voter disenfranchisement for a while in the state of Georgia. And what are we talking about? We're talking about um, the Secretary of State engaging in massive voter purging. We're talking about people uh, being called inactive because they have not participated in two election cycles, and now they have to go through a process to become active again. That has always been there. Those are the hurdles that Democrats have historically talked about. As far as some 
massive voter fraud taking place that gave the election to Joe Biden and took it away from Donald Trump. That simply doesn't exist. And you're still having a lot of coalition groups that are nonpartisan. They're going out, they're doing the same thing they did in the uh, general election. They're taking people to the polls, they're knocking on doors, they're sending out mailers. I get five text messages a day to remind me to vote. They're still doing these things. And also something that happened unique in Georgia that did not happen in other states is that Georgia decided, or, or black radio program directors decided to all come together. Uh, I'm at one of those stations, and we coordinated our efforts for Get Out the Vote with all of the major urban radio stations. And listen, that's a big deal because typically the rest of the year, we're sworn enemies, all right? We're competitors with each other in the marketplace. But for this campaign, we decided to come together and make sure that our message was a coalition building message for people to vote who listen to us every day. Yes, and when we speak about messages in Georgia, we cannot not speak about Miss Stacey Abrams and how impactful she has been after losing that 2018 Georgia gubernatorial election to Brian Kemp, which was largely a result of voter suppression, unfortunately. And so can you speak about how how kind of the um, the voters have been energized by virtue of the fact that it was stolen from Stacey Abrams? Stacey Abrams did something that I have never seen done in politics before. She lost an election and then won the world. Because after she lost the election, she saw the barriers, the challenges. She saw the inside baseball stuff that happened. And she said, this isn't right. And while others were talking about this before she ran, it wasn't the same level of focus. She did nationally what she had already done in Georgia. She registered a lot of people to vote in Georgia before she uh, ran for governor. After she lost that gubernatorial race, she decided to take that operation throughout the United States of America. But here's what else she learned in that process. She learned how to look at what the future could bring. It's because of Stacey Abrams' insight and foresight that she got the Secretary of State to sign an agreement that you cannot dismiss voters based on the signature match methodology for absentee ballots. Because she knew they would try that foolishness, she made sure that signature was properly in place, was legally accessible and mandated, and it stopped what Trump attempted to do. Without that agreement, Trump may have had his way and got a whole lot of votes thrown out that should have been counted. Hey, you know, it really says something in terms of the fire she put down is something that kind of stopped Trump from taking this 2020 election, which is a good thing. Yeah. So she's definitely made her mark. And when it comes to these Democratic senators who are trying to come in there and to make change, what do you expect from them, hopefully, when they get the win in January? They got to go big or go home. That's what I expect. I had a great conversation with Senator Cory Booker. And I said, listen, you all should have learned something when President Obama got elected. And this is what Democrats should have learned. Do not depend on the art of gradualism to get progressive policies implemented and, and uh, done, voted on, et cetera. You cannot wait on that. You cannot wait on a consensus from Republicans to get the job done. You have to do it when you have the votes to do it. So I'm hoping that the Democratic senators, if they get these two, uh, Warnock and Ossoff, if they get 50, they do something with it, giving 
Kamala Harris, vice president-elect, the tie-breaking vote. And I know we keep saying we have 48 Democrats uh, in the Senate. We really don't. We only have 46. Two of them are independents. Um, and we got to make sure they stay in line as well uh, to bring the others to make it 50. Absolutely. And I know it's a very scary thing for a lot of us, especially when we're looking for change and hopefully to roll back some of the terror that has been done over the past for some years. Uh, but hey, we have to work with what we can. And so in terms of the things that you are working with right now, what is in front of you immediately other than this uh, runoff race? You know, it's really nothing else. I mean, this runoff is everything. Uh, January 5th, my world does not exist beyond the 5th of January. And the reason is because I understand this is a game of chess, not checkers. And if we can align ourselves with the right players, we can get a lot done. I'm a policy guy. I'm not a personality guy. To be honest with you, there are a whole lot of Democrats I would never have a drink with. But because they believe and accept a policy agenda that's connected to the community I come from, I will support that policy agenda. So for me, January 5th is a policy election. It's not about personality. They can keep throwing these personality Hail Marys against Warnock and Ossoff. I, I could care less. This is about policy because those policies impact the community that I come from. And I completely and totally respect that. And as much as there are some Democrats you would never drink with, there are Democrats I would throw drinks on. And so <laughs> right. I, fully, I fully appreciate that. And so to anybody who is uncertain and still, and I guess has the power there to vote in Georgia for this runoff election, what would you say to them? I would say this. The political art is not a perfect art. The rules of engagement have already been pre-designed. The tools have already been preset. You do not select your leaders, you elect your leaders, which means you do have to look at a composite, a summary of what they represent. Here's what I encourage you to do. Not telling you who to vote for, but I want you to do the research and find which candidate more so aligns with your ideology. And if you can't do it for that reason, do it for this reason, which candidate helps mama them? Which candidates help the children in your community? Which candidate would have helped you in a situation that you found yourself in? Which candidate believes in what your community believes in? Thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Rashad Ritchie. Can you tell everybody where they can find you? Absolutely. RashadRitchie.com, real easy. Follow me on social media, uh, Twitter at Rashad underscore Ritchie. Uh, the gram is the same. Thanks so much. Thank you.